I'm Brandon Hull, and you're listening to Freelance to Founder. I consider a failure, but I guess in a good way that, you know, um, you realize after a few years that you learn more from your failures failures than you do from your successes. So um, it definitely, it took some time, but looking back, I wouldn't have it any other way because that's really how I learned my most valuable lessons. Freelance to Founder is a podcast where I talk to entrepreneurs from all walks of life. They've built agencies, online courses, physical products, software. They've launched highly successful blogs, turned podcasts into businesses, or some combination of these things. In many cases, they started as freelance pursuits that took on a whole new life and scaled far beyond the founder's expectations and definitely bigger than themselves. Today, you'll hear the story of Baird Hall, founder of Wave.co. That's W-A-V-V-E dot C-O. If you've seen these cool social videos floating around that feature short excerpts of podcast episodes with a neat audio wave bouncing to the beat of the voices in that excerpt, there's a pretty good chance it was a wave video. Baird started the company in January 2017 after running what he thinks was a failed startup for about two years. That company was called Utah Sports, a sort of app-based radio offering that featured individual channels on specific sports talks, like, say, the Kansas City Chiefs football, for instance. These were run by regular people like you and me. It was podcasting that didn't feel like podcasting, because listeners to those channels could leave their own replies in audio form to whatever the hosts of those channels talked about. It was pretty cool, but obviously it didn't work out. Though it didn't work out, my feeling is Utalk wasn't a failure at all. It was a first step, and Wave wouldn't have happened without it. Utalk Sports pivoted to become Wave when Baird finally realized that creating short audio snippets from these individual channels to promote the app and its contributors, that was the real product he should be focused on. And we'll get started on his story in just one minute. Whether you want to travel more or communicate better with international clients, you need to try Babbel. I've used Babbel's courses and you can do the same in order to learn real life conversation skills in a different language, order food, ask for directions, or speak to clients without having to use translation apps. Right now, get 60% off your Babbel subscription. This is only for our listeners at babbel.com slash freelance. That's 60% off at babbel.com slash freelance, spelled B-A-B-B-E-L.com slash freelance rules restrictions apply. Mr. Baird Hall, thank you so much for joining me. Thanks, Brandon. Yeah, we've been crossing paths for a long time now, so I'm glad we can sit down and have a proper discussion. (laughs) A a proper discussion. We've been talking for (laughs) nearly five years. It's just under five years, well before the days of Subtitle or Wave, uh, either of those really cool tools, but um, and we're getting, we're obviously we'll dig right into that. But it's it has been several years now. Yeah, it really has. It's you're one of the few people that have kind of seen the arc of our progress from our early products to what we're doing now. So yeah, it's interesting that we can um, really kind of chat and put all the pieces together for the first time. Agree completely. So we're going to focus today on Wave.co and Wave is W A V V E dot co as well as talking about your new emerging product, which is, uh, is called Subtitle. But we're going to go back in time as well and, and, and let everybody in on the secret <laughs> that led to both of those products existing. And it took, let's not call it a failure, but it definitely took a hard lesson learned and a pivot for Wave to even exist in the first place. 
Yeah, I've, I, I would definitely, I consider it a failure, but I guess in a good way that, you know, um, you realize after a few years that you learn more from your failures, failures than you do from your successes. So, um, it definitely, it, it, it took some time and, um, but looking back, I wouldn't have it any other way because that's really how I learned my most valuable lessons. And you could argue wave would not be where it is today. Had that first product that we're going to get to here shortly, uh, had, had it never existed, right? Yeah. A hundred percent. We would have never stumbled onto the problem and solution to that problem um, if we hadn't started that first product. So, That's cool. You know, when we were in the moment, it seemed like we had made a huge mistake, but looking back, we would have, um, you know, if, if we didn't put ourselves out there, launch something and uh, experiment and try things, we would have never made any progress. So it's uh, just part of the journey. Very cool. So since I mentioned that we're talking about Wave and Subtitle today, let's focus on Wave first. Um, present day, Wave.co is a uh, automatic, automated animation uh, video creation software where you merge static images or an image with audio in order to produce a short video that, for example, a podcaster can use to promote their show. doesn't have to be just a podcaster, obviously, but they can promote their show with either a teaser or the full version of it if it's short enough. Um, and it's offered as a subscription to podcasters on a monthly basis, very inexpensive subscriptions. I am a, for just for all transparency, I am a paying customer out of my own pocket, uh, for wave and have, again, have known Baird for some time now. So, uh, this isn't a commercial for wave necessarily, nor an endorsement of it, but I am a customer myself of it. So I'm full aware, fully aware of the capabilities of the product, but but present day, let's talk about where Wave is at as a company today in revenue. What can you share about that? Yeah, we've, we've been around for um, two and a half years. We launched January of 2017, and we're currently doing around $43,000 a month in recurring revenue. So we just crossed, just got to the half a million annual recurring revenue mark, uh, which was a big milestone for us. We, um, we're really excited about that. We've got about... 40,000 total users. Uh, so it's a freemium product. So a lot of you know, people sign up for the free, free tier. Right. Uh, and um, around uh, around 3,000 um, paying monthly subscribers. So it's definitely been a slow and steady growth pace. Um, we've been pretty consistent but between 6 and 10% month over month growth since the first month that we launched. So it seemed like we were never going to get anywhere, but then all of a sudden you look back one day and that compound growth month over month starts to get really interesting and starts to take off in a way that can be really exciting and scary. It's pretty incredible. So you're, you're based in Charleston, South Carolina, and if people didn't know, um, most people don't know you, you, you seem to be constantly traveling the world. And so I'm wondering which one of the recent trips that I've seen you on celebrated one of these recent milestones in terms of revenue per month. Any of them or are they just part of life? That happened. um, Yeah, my wife and I. So I will say my uh, world traveling is going to come to a halt pretty soon. We just found out (laughs) we have um, a little kid on the way. All right. Congrats. Which we're excited about. But we have been trying to get all the traveling in that we can while I can kind of work remotely and and um, travel around. So um, we, uh, but no, the most, the, the, uh, latest milestone happened pretty recently. We haven't had any big trips since then. <laughs> That's pretty incredible. The, um, you, you've been throughout Europe, uh, of late and hit some beautiful destinations, which, you know, we'll let people follow you 
on Instagram if they really feel so inclined to to see some of the destinations you've hit. But where you're at with Wave after just two years is pretty incredible to me, especially considering the fact that there are free alternatives out there. I know you have a freemium version, but there are also free versions out there. Um, yep. And even your freemium version in some ways is perfectly adequate. So uh, help me understand a little bit about how Wave came to be, the founding story, the origin story of Wave, and how you decided to not just build the product, let's talk about the problem that you wanted to solve, but roll right into how you decided to make that product available to people. Yeah, and you know, before I do that, I don't want to lose the point about um, having free competitors, because mm. every time a free competitor launches, I think my world's going to end. I, I completely freak out about it and <laughs> I stress out completely. And I know a lot of other founders probably struggle with this. Um, but I've finally gotten to the point where I've realized that competition is such a good thing. It's really forced us to like evaluate our business over and over again and differentiate from others. So if somebody's going to offer it free, then we're going to be premium. We need to be that much better. So um, I'm glad you brought that point up because that's been something that I've had to constantly kind of improve and um, understand as I've gone along. By the way, that's that's hilarious that you would say that because I think most founders would say, yeah, you know what? Listen, here's my take on freemium products or freemium competitors. And then you dismiss them out of hand. But you're just, you're doing the opposite here, Barry. You're saying you have your own little freak out moment when a new competitor yeah. uh, offers something up and then you settle that back down after that. Yeah, we've I and mean, we've had competitors that you know have um, been venture backed and have raised a lot of money and yep. have you know ten, fifteen times the headcount than us, and uh, that can be a little intimidating sometimes when you know you're a two, three person team in Charleston, South Carolina. So we've had to learn how to just you know react to competitors and react to the market as it changes, as it grows. And it's really made us better. Um, but in the moment, it's, you never, you never view it like that. Yeah. So I'm pausing the interview for just a minute to jump in. I think it's incredibly brave and a great example by Baird for aspiring entrepreneurs to appreciate that when a competitor comes along, you can be cool about it all you want, but you are not alone if you freak out just a little bit and you are concerned about the fact that they've got a premium version that matches yours and a freemium version that matches yours, or maybe a freemium product that even exceeds your freemium features. Baird uh, was very transparent about that. And it was really cool to hear him admit that uh, sometimes those moments are tough ones for him as well. And maybe you need to come to grips with that and embrace the fact that they're going to force you, that competitor is going to force you to get better about building your product as well. All right, back to the interview. All right. So you mentioned that Wave's been around for about two and a half years, and I asked you to kind of share with us the origin story. I should set this up since we teased about it at the beginning, that your origin story uh, is difficult to find online, but it started with Undoc a little app. Undocumented. <laughs> it's undocumented. We are going to reveal it now, however. Um, it, it's a little, a little company and an app called You Talk Sports uh, that you guys launched about four to five years ago. Um, can you talk a little bit about uh, Utah Sports for a little bit and how that led to an aha moment with Wave and why Wave needed to exist? Yeah, I'll take you back to 2015. My wife and I just got married in January. And a month later, I told her I wanted to quit my job and start my own company. She had no clue what I was 
talking about. It's the first time she heard it. And my big idea was to, uh, I loved, loved listening to sports radio. And um, I would drive to my job and sit in the car and I would like yell back at the radio arguing <laughs> with the sports radio guy. But I was always frustrated that listeners never had a voice. Yeah. And the big idea originally was to create this app that allowed listeners of radio shows and podcasts to be able to basically call in virtually through an app and leave audio messages that other listeners could respond and listen to and they could have an actual discussion around the radio show and allow the radio show to listen, you know, listen to what people are saying and play those back, kind of take call-ins to the next level. Right. And um, it seemed like a great idea. A lot of people told me it was a great idea. So we kind of just jumped off the cliff and dove in and um, – my co-founder and I, we started working on it in 2015 and, uh, you know, we can dive into the, uh, this business as much as, well, that's the problem. It never turned into a business. So long story short is, you know, after two years, we just never really figured out how to make money with it. The radio shows wouldn't pay for it. The users wouldn't pay for it. We had a, you know, we had a couple thousand like regular active users that really liked the product, but it was really like, a, it truly was like, I hate to look back and say this, but it was more of a hobby than a business. And we just were really headstrong with it and kept pushing it forward. But um, after two years, uh, we were running out of cash and we were able to sell it, which was um, which was good, which is why you don't see much about it online, because uh, we transferred the ownership to um, a, another party. By the way, it was it was pretty innovative, though, because it it, it was very interest based. Um, people could start, let's, for lack of a term, let's call it like a station or something like that. People mm-hmm. could create a station based on mm-hmm. Kentucky Wildcat basketball or something and have their own um, podcast within that station, if you will, uh, where they could sound off um, and, and record and upload audio to it. And, and then people could reply just to that station. Uh, and the only people that would see those comments then were people who liked Kentucky basketball. And they would, you could have a kind of like a back and forth basically with the hosts um, who, you know, you're, you're both interested in the sport. You're both interested in the team and, and you can have this sort of uploaded asynchronous, I guess you could say back and forth exchange with people. And the funny thing about that is in a lot of ways that doesn't even exist in podcasting yet still, but you you were thinking about it, you know, four and a half or so years ago, that, that alone is pretty creative. The business aside, I feel like the, the opportunity you were opening up for people who have a niche interest in something uh, and want to talk about it, like you opened that up in ways that still doesn't exist. Yeah. And maybe that's the case is that we were just a little too early, Um, maybe by, you know, five to eight years too early. But yeah, that was the exact idea. We really were trying to copy what Reddit had hit on about Reddit, you know, does the same thing, but text-based around like really niche topics. And we were thinking, well, people that are really passionate about certain topics, they want to actually talk about it. Right. And that's really what we centered around the whole time. Um, and podcasters loved it. Radio shows loved it. But um, yeah, unfortunately, we just could never. I, I think we tried every possible business model <laughs> that's in the book and just none of them worked. Yeah. So you're not a developer yourself, right? Correct. Yeah. Okay. I do all the sales, marketing, anything that the user you know, uh, interacts with or, or, um, kind of any, anything user facing is what I, what I handle. And then I have, um, a co-founder who's, who I've been working with from day one and, um, he really handles all the technical, Got technical it. side. All right. Okay. So he's been the developer or at least the, uh, the lead technologist with other developers that uh, he'll work with either his contract or something like that, but he's your technology yeah. guy and you're the sort of the, 
marketing support and uh, uh, branding guy, if you will, the product direction guy. Yep. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And it's been really important for, uh, we actually met through our wives, which was an interesting way to meet your co-founder. And we <laughs> started working on some projects together and I pitched this idea and uh, we kind of jumped at it and went full force. And he's a really talented guy. He's a, a former lawyer and uh, turned developer. So wow. we have uh, a lot of different skills that are covered between the two of us. But we've realized that there's a lot of things that we're good at, each each of us. And there's a lot of things that we just don't want to do. Like he doesn't <laughs> want to do sales and I don't like coding. So it's just better to, in our situation to kind of, um, you know, divide and conquer than trying to be a one man show. Makes sense. All right, so Utah Sports is not finding its foothold from a revenue standpoint, and ultimately you get to a point where you realize you need to think of a plan B. Um, how did the how did how did you go through that transition process of what you're calling a failed product turning into something that you want to try as the next plan? Like you have no guarantee that the plan B is going to work either. But how did the how did your brain start working through? All right, this is not working. Let's move in this direction. Yeah. And it's funny that during the two months where we really saw the writing on the wall for you talk was the most depressing. And I felt like a failure and felt like, you know, everybody was seeing this thing kind of go under after working on it for so long that this is when I've made my biggest breakthroughs, I think, in entrepreneurship. But basically, um, the last couple months, our last ditch effort for promoting you talk was our thought was all of these conversations are happening on our app. We had hundreds and hundreds of hours of like really creative, funny audio content. And our thought was, well, if people could just hear this audio on social media, then we could encourage them to come download the app. If they hear something on Facebook and they actually cl click and play the, a clip, they'll click on a link and download the app. We found out really quickly that you can't put audio on Facebook or Instagram or right. social media. It has to be a video. So my co-founder spent a weekend, we kind of cobbled some different tools together and he um, kind of wrapped them all together and built this really crude prototype of a tool that would take an audio clip, add an image and a waveform and output an MP4 video for social media. And I just was using it as an internal tool to promote the audio on our app. And that's when podcasters, they would see these videos that we created and they would DM or email us and say like, Hey, your app is not that interesting, but how did you create this video? <laughs> and we started getting more of those requests and the light bulb went off for like, wait a second, we are working on the wrong thing. Um, this is an actual problem that radio podcasters, everybody has, um, that's really applicable to like uh, the whole audio industry moving towards digital. And, uh, that's when the light bulb went off and realized that our idea wasn't great. But this idea that the market was telling us is uh, definitely more interesting. How long did uh, Utah Sports exist before you had that uh, sort of crossroads moment? It was about a year and a half. Maybe um, the actual product was out there for a, a little over a year. We had been working on the concept for a little longer than that. Did you burn through a ton of cash? I went through 15,000 in savings, um, which to be honest, wasn't, I mean, that's a lot of money, especially I was 25 at this point. Uh, it could have been so much worse. Yeah. I think is what I'm trying to get at because yeah. we kept always reevaluating. Like we were getting all these false signals that users really liked it. You know, um, like 
blogs and different people would pick it up and talk about it. And like, we would get these flashes in the pan that made us think that like, Oh, this next thing's going to be our big break. Right. But because we never had a foundation for the business side of it, um, it, it really had no legs to stand on. So we kept going and kept going. It was probably more of an opportunity cost of just, we, you know, we spent so much time and we quit our jobs to focus on it. And, um, so that was more of the damage was probably on that, but, um, yeah, the savings got completely wiped out. <laughs> Well, and I'm sure your newlywed wife wasn't all that pumped about that one, but um, <laughs> she jokes that um, she's going to put angel investor on her LinkedIn profile one day. <laughs> <laughs> Unwitting, unwittingly, she was an angel investor. Uh, so what's funny about that, though, is in, in, in a lot of ways, when you look, it's easy to say this in hindsight, but when you look at where Wave is today in revenue, and we'll talk about what you've done to grow Wave, we'll head there next. But as you look at where you've uh, gotten Wave to today, that investment in Utah sports is pretty minimal considering it led to wave. Yeah, exactly. And th- there's definitely some big lessons learned there where the first was you got to get started somewhere. Now, ideally you don't just quit your job and build some cool app that you think <laughs> is going to hit it big. Like, there's, but there's smarter ways to do it. But, you know, at a certain point you have to pick something you're interested in and get started, build something, provide a service, do something to, you know, get your wheels going. If you sit around and wait for the perfect business idea, it's just never going to happen. You're never going to take those first few steps. So that was a big lesson learned. The other one is I was always so focused on my idea and how great my idea was. My ego definitely kind of came into play there a little bit. And uh, probably kept us going on that idea for too long. But the big change for me that has really changed how I operate and think about entrepreneurship and products that I build is my ideas aren't that great, but uh, I can have a starting point idea, put it out there and then let the market tell me what they think. And then Mm. it's no longer my idea. It's just this new thing, this its own entity that you just have to kind of shepherd and move along and, um, you know, you don't always know what it's going to become, but that's kind of the fun part too. Um, so it's really that shift in mindset that I had. And we still do that. We're, we, we launched a new product with Wave that, um, you know, I think it's a great idea, but instead of building the whole thing out, we did a quick MVP, launched it, started getting feedback. And now we're really letting our customers drive, uh, drive it. And I, I know this is not a um, groundbreaking um, um, discovery, but it's just so hard to push your ego aside sometimes and let that happen. So it was a big lesson for me. Well, and not that I'm here to, my job's not here to necessarily pat you on the back or stroke you or anything like that, Baird. I mean, but, but, but you saw the signs with your first product and you, were, you wanted to find a way to add value to it. And the genesis for that idea came from you. I mean, the, the idea of, of promoting the content in your first app was what led to ultimately wave. So in a lot of ways, you know, you, uh, I'll stroke your ego a little bit there. It's, it's not like if people told you, Hey, I need to be able to create a teaser video that I can then promote to get people to my, uh, my little niche, you know, within you talk sports. Yeah. Yeah. You definitely have, you have to start somewhere and you kind of, you have to take, obviously you have to take the risk to get going. Um, so I, I think it's a little, you need to find a good balance of both things of, you know, picking something you're interested in, getting going, putting it out there, and then also kind of disconnecting yourself from times and say, well, what's the market telling me about this? What am I hearing? Or, you know, is this getting pulled along or am I pushing this thing uphill? Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, I, I think we've always kind of had a good 
cadence of reevaluating things every three to six months. We'll kind of take a step back and say, whoa, is this working? Yes or no. And then you kind of take a fresh perspective every so often just to make sure you're, you know, you're going the right direction. All right. So I'm pausing the interview for just a minute again. That was another golden gem from Baird. And it doesn't really matter if you're trying to build a software product, build a community, an online course, uh, fill out a blog that will be monetized and uh, be your ultimate primary revenue driver in your life or any other endeavor. I think that last piece from Baird, and maybe you should go back about a minute and listen to it one more time. That's a golden gem from Baird as far as listening to what the market has to say and not being so married to your idea that you're unwilling, you're stubborn, and you won't pivot when the market is telling you that you've got to go in a new direction. Brilliant observation by Baird that he was wise enough to listen to that inner voice and listen to that market voice telling him to head in a different direction. And maybe you should too, if you're finding yourself stuck with your product or your service or your other offering. So you mentioned that you were uh, a newlywed and you're burning through your savings pretty quickly. And, and then the light is starting to, the light is starting to dawn and starting to dawn on you that it might be time to shut this down and go in a different direction. How did that go over in an interpersonal way that you just spent all this money launching this thing and now you realize you need to pivot um, from an interpersonal standpoint? Your relationship with your wife, was that difficult to navigate for a little bit? Yeah, I mean, the credit really goes to her for being really supportive and, uh, you know, really trusting me through it. But we did get to a point where there was there was no more savings left and uh, we were, you know, operating just on her salary. So when the new I when wave came along and we decided like, hey, this is working, we've got, you know, our first few customers, but it's going to take a long time to get get up and running. You know, we really had two options. It was either go raise money for it. Or we can, um, you know, do freelancing on the side and, um, you know, bring in some cash and um, keep the lights on that way. And we realized pretty quickly early on that it wasn't a really a venture backed business just because it's more bootstrapped, um, yeah. uh, kind of, you know, sl- low and slow growth model. Um, so I started taking on contract work. I was doing project management. I was really doing anything I could get my hands on um, for customers. Um, I, I did some sales and marketing consulting and scratched together, I think that year. So the year before I made $0 with Wave. Um, and then the next year when we were, or I'm sorry, with Utah. And then uh, we started Wave. I started freelancing. I think I made $30,000 that year. And that was just enough to keep my wife um, somewhat happy and paying some of the bills um, and keep us working on that. We were, I, I would say I was splitting my time probably 50-50. So that was probably 2016, I'm going to guess. Is that right? Yeah, exactly. That was all of 2016. Okay. So once you made up your mind that you need to go into... That was was 2017. 2017. Okay. Yeah. Once you made up your mind that you need to go all in on this teaser video that you had created as a way to promote Utah, how long did it take from pausing any further development with Utah and launching Wave? We paused all Utah development in October of 2016, and we publicly launched Wave January 2017. We were in beta after two weeks, and then we spent a month and a half in beta and then launched it January 2017. So it was another testament of when 
we, we were on the right track and things moved so much quickly. Customers were giving us fast feedback. They were signing up quickly and we knew exactly what to build. It was easy to prioritize. There was uh, really, really fast moving and we launched it January 2017. And having learned the lesson of no revenue um, options, even though you thought about a lot of different ways with UTalk, was it was it a paid were there paid plans available right out of the gates in January 2017 as well, or did you wait on that one as well this second time around? No, that was uh, that was another lesson learned. We charged our first five customers. Um, we actually, man, this is um, yeah, this is going way back. We actually threw up a completely open. We basically just set up a website and put the app up there with no logins or accounts. And um, if people paid us through WordPress, they could get access to the URL. So we had five people that paid us just to get access to it. Oh, my gosh. It was like, talk about MVP. And they were happy and they loved it because it solved their problem. And we were doing everything we could to validate it from day one as opposed to like, oh, well, let's launch a free plan. Let's get a couple hundred users and see what happens. We're like, no, will people pay for this? Yes or no? I need to know because if not, I need to go get a job. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so it was really just that we're at that pressure point where, um, we really had to be diligent about making sure that there was a business behind this. Um, and again, it was from all those lessons learned, but yeah, our first five customers paid and, uh, it took a little bit to kind of get the first, we had to cut it off obviously, cause we didn't have a database or account structure, um, <laughs> in place at that point. So we let them use it and got their feedback and, um, kind of built the first version of the app and started rolling from there. You know, working from home is mostly great, but there are some days when I realize I haven't left my house or even my chair like all day. Have you been there? Getting outside to exercise or making a trip to the gym are just harder now that my office is just a flight of stairs away. If you're stuck in the same rut as me, then you should try Hydro. That's H-Y-D-R-O-W. With the Hydro rower and 20 minutes a day, getting a full body workout is so much easier. Hydro can work up to 86% of your muscles in just 20 minutes for an insane effective home workout. That's because Hydro pairs the effectiveness of rowing with the power of technology to connect you with over 5,000 video trainings, classes, and workouts. And get ready to get out from behind your home desk because after a few months of daily rowing with Hydro, your partner's going to want to take you out for a night on the town to show you off. This spring, join the growing rowing community at Hydro. Head over to hydro.com and use code FREELANCE to save up to $400 off your Hydro. That's H-Y-D-R-O-W.com and promo code FREELANCE to save $400. Hydro.com, promo code FREELANCE, or just click the link in our show description. Have you ever noticed that many of the problems people call in with on this show can be solved by hiring someone? Sometimes you need a full-fledged team, other times maybe just a simple assistant or an expert in something you're not great at. Whatever your reason for hiring, we recommend you take a look at LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn isn't just another job board. As you may know already, LinkedIn has a vast network of more than a billion professionals, which makes it the best place to hire. It gives you access to professionals you can't find 
anywhere else. And LinkedIn Jobs makes the process of finding the perfect teammate easy and intuitive. Hiring is always easy when you have access to so many quality candidates. So easy, in fact, that 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within 24 hours when using LinkedIn Jobs. I've used it myself, and it was so simple. In fact, I've made multiple hires using LinkedIn Jobs. And did I mention, by the way, it's free to business owners like me and you. Post your job for free at linkedin.com slash freelance. That's linkedin.com slash freelance to post your job for free or click the link in our show description. Terms and conditions apply. So many people I've talked to have built these followings. They've built communities where they've been a big part of a community, and that has enabled them to, when they're ready to launch their product or service uh, or their SaaS product, um, they've had an instant list available to tap into for customers, paying customers right out of the gates. What's unique about this story is that as you mentioned with you talk, you got a, a bunch of people who just have a voice. They, they, they don't have a, they're not even like podcasters today so much mm-hmm. back then. They just, pe- people wanted to have an easy way to call in to other people who were, you know, hosting their own show, or maybe they want to host their own channel on you talk. But the point is that they, they weren't looking at this as some sort of great network that they could launch, um, on top of your platform. And so they weren't, they weren't business minded people, maybe somewhere, but By and large, they weren't business-minded people. So it feels like you didn't have this sort of list that you can immediately go to and say, hey, guys, remember this thing that I was doing with Utah? I've now turned it into its own product. You want to jump on board? Am I wrong there? Or what did you do to to earn some customers like right out of the gates? No, you're right. I I, I did use the list to uh, mention that we were working on something new. But we, um, but no, I didn't have a list. I cold emailed between 20 and 50 people a day uh, for probably two months straight and got on social media and reached out to podcasters and radio shows uh, asking for feedback. Social media was really, uh, email worked pretty well, but um, obviously because our tool was meant to help podcasters promote on social media, that communicating with them initially on that medium was really helpful from a direct sales standpoint. But no, looking back, it's, it's kind of crazy that I sat in our apartment and Probably for six months, I just did direct sales for a $10 a month product, um, which at that point sounded kind of crazy, but I was just so determined that to get this thing up and running because I knew people would pay for it. I just really need to get in front of them. Uh, I did not have a voice in the podcast community. We had not really written any blogs or content, so there was really no other option other than direct sales. And um quick lesson learned from using direct sales early on. I, I didn't know this going in, but what I loved about that for uh, evaluating a new product was, or I should say validating a new product is I got to change the messaging every single time I talked to somebody. <laughs> so there, you, you know, there, obviously we had a website, but I could tweak different copy and different approaches every time I sent a direct email out to a new person. And that really helped me refine our messaging and figure out what works and what resonated with people. And it takes a lot of time. It's a lot of manual work because, you know, you're not just mail blasting every podcaster that's out there. You're yep. personalizing it. But it really helped me craft like, oh, okay, I, I, I'm getting feedback on this and I know what this thing needs to become. So um, it was a lot of work and it was really just a lot of me sitting in front of my laptop for, you know, a couple hours at a time. Um, but uh, we you know, kind of got our first 100 customers fairly quickly. And um, that's when I felt like we could 
kind of start building our own community from scratch. What's funny about that is too, is, is at only 10 bucks a month, you can go find customers, even a hundred of them pretty quickly, but 10 bucks a month isn't a ton of money. So the amount of revenue from those 10 customers or those hundred customers isn't going to, isn't going to allow you to declare victory just yet. Yep. No, I'm glad I was, but I'm glad I was naive about it because, you know, if I had like run the return on investment calculations for how much time it took me to get each customer and, um, you know, it, we, I was kind of trusting my gut a little bit, hoping that, you know, the hundred customers would allow us to kind of, you know, turn those into a couple hundred and um, start building a brand and go from there. Well, speaking of building a brand, by the way, I have an email from you dated March 9th, 2016, telling me that, in fact, I'll read it. A little heads up, we will be renaming Utah in the next few weeks. We are hitting some potential trademarking issues and so forth. We settled on Wave, W-A-V-V-E, as the new app name. Check out the upcoming logo. And uh, so I can see where the wheels just started to turn a little bit in March, even though it was was going to be another nine months before the full pivot happened. Yeah, yeah, we were, um, oh gosh, naming can be its own three course podcast probably just the stress that comes with picking a name and a brand and all those things but yeah we uh you talk was being used by another app and um we ran into some problems there and had to change but uh yeah that's when we really started just thinking about what we wanted to do um just in general we've always kind of followed this ethos that we really loved helping people share their voice online and we always thought about kind of radio waves and um, radioactive waves kind of penetrating and spreading. Um, so th- that was kind of an exercise in um, thinking high level about what we wanted to accomplish. And then the actual product that came from that definitely changed, but we've kind of been following the same, um, same main passion uh, since that point. What's cool about that, by the way, is I think most people would think of an audio wave, but the idea that you're talking about wave in a sharing or in a uh, you know, something getting exponentially bigger or better or mm-hmm. spreading is really what you had in mind. That's kind of cool. Yeah. Yeah. We had, a, it, we settled on that. We also like the idea of, um, uh, just waves like in the ocean that are like swelling and growing, mm-hmm. and, you know, getting more pr- powerful. So there are a lot of different kind of angles for, for picking that name, but it took us a long time to settle on that. And we had to spell it weird, like every other startup. So you can show up on Google, but, um, it's, it's worked out pretty well. <laughs> so the, the, so you're now uh, a successful founder. You've got a half million dollar company here, just two years in. Uh, and, and I think if I understand correctly, from a uh, an employee standpoint, you're still talking just you two, you and your founder co-founder Nick, um, as the only two full-time employees on this. Is that right? Yeah, there's three of us. We added okay. a third partner um, who was originally a contractor with us, and um, he just has done such great work that we added him as an owner. So there's three of us that really focus on the business, and then um, we've got a uh, list of contractors and agencies and, and different people that help us in, in different areas. But we, we've we always, from day one, we've really focused on running as lean as possible. It's kind of been built into our DNA a little bit now, maybe, maybe too much uh, in some situations. But uh, we really like to um, keep costs low and just – it helps us prioritize. It helps us make sure we're focusing on what's important. And uh, again, not letting our egos kind of make decisions and, you know, do expensive sponsorships or things like that. And um, we really, we, we prefer it that way. And uh, it's getting a little challenging to manage now that uh, it's growing just as fast at at a larger rate. Um, So uh, we're, 
new challenges every couple months it seems yep so and managing that growth is a whole whole other issue uh, most people you know might might hear this story and think oh it's good steady growth and you you arrived at a great point but a year just over almost exactly but just over a year ago you were only at about $10,000 a month in monthly recurring revenue so just in the last year you've added what 300,000 or well, 30k 33k a month in additional revenue just in the last year so it's clearly you hit a tipping point where the growth went from steady to rapid fire. Yeah, I think um, you know our, our marketing strategies from day one have been uh, focused on organic growth. We've really tried to limit paid spending, sponsorships, things like that, because we know that those are um, generally flashes in the pan. And with a business like this, we really want to build that um, you know slow growth, that loyal uh, subscription base. And uh, we've done most of that from content marketing, SEO, social media, building followings. And it's taken a long time, but it's been slow, steady. Um, we've never missed a month of growth under 5%. And that's always been kind of our North Star that we've been focusing on. And um, it, yeah, it's taken a long time. And uh, But, you know, once you build these, they, it starts to feel, you know, you start I, it's just now at this point where I can kind of relax a little bit and feel like, okay, well, we're going to be around for a while. It seems like, how do we now really double down and start kicking up growth another notch? Yep. By the way, speaking of, of how you grew, one of the things you didn't mention is that on your free plan, you have, you do have very subtle, um, wave branding that's included in those videos. And when you're on a paid plan that removes the branding, was that an important element to you as well? To it, It's kind of like the old Hotmail concept of there's always in the footer of every email. They're the first ones that had that idea of the viral nature of using the product or just the, the nature of using the product means that the product is going to get exposure. Um, did you guys think through that, you know, th- as a key part of growth or was it just one of the other, one of the many elements? Yeah, uh, you know, it's interesting that that wave branding, we, we actually didn't add that until maybe we were, around for a little over a year, a year and a half. That's uh, relatively new. But um, we didn't really, it was a a great accident that our our product helps people create content, which they then share. And so it's really just been organic growth where people see the videos and they ask people, hey, how'd you make that? And that's really, the word of mouth has really been one of the biggest driving factors of our growth as well. Uh, we've, re, I would say more we've focused on um, the aesthetics of the actual animations and video themselves. Mm-hmm. We've always tried to be leading um, our, our uh, peers as far as making sure that the audios, the waveform animations look really good. They react well. They uh, We have lots of different options and variations. And I, I think we like to think that our style stands out and makes people more and more interested about how they get created and that's how they find us. So it's funny that the, the very feature that I thought might be this secret weapon wasn't even really a feature or an important <laughs> part of those first phases of those first few months of growth. Yeah, it, it, I think it's helped. Um, I, I think a lot of our customers, our free plan is intentionally very limited um, because it's really meant to help people try it out free, try out all the different features. We don't have a ton of users that use the product consistently um, on the free plan. It's kind of more of a try before you buy intention. So I I think if we did have a more um, uh, kind of a a higher usage free plan, that that, uh, would come into play more. But 
Um, and we might, we've been thinking about changing that because it would be a way to help us accelerate growth beyond, but we're kind of always revisiting those little things and decisions and trying to figure out what to do next. Yeah. So I think what's interesting about your background, um, versus others that we've had on who have built really cool or rapid fire growth, uh, software as a, as a service solutions is because you are not a developer there are certain things that you can't bring to the table. Maybe you've learned a lot, you know, since you talk first launched and let alone wave and its growth, but uh, there's certain things you can't or choose not to do as a developer. And so you're always one step removed from, all right, implementing this feature is going to cost us this amount of time. Do I know it's going to translate into growth? Tell me, tell me what life is like as a founder of a software company who doesn't write the software and how that impacts your view on what you should, how you should build a product either from scratch, as well as iterate and grow that product. What features should be included? Not being that developer, what does that, what does that mean for you? I think the word that comes to mind is patience, where you, know, you have an idea for a new feature and you can't actually sit down for two days and knock it out and someone else needs to do it. Uh, you have to be able to, A, have patience to wait for that, to happen, but it also makes you really diligent about what features you want to build. Because I know that if I, you know, once we make this decision, this is going to take a long time to get this feature out and to get it right. And if this is not the right feature, it's going to, we're, we're wasting time. Um, so my co-founder and I, we, we have a really good balance. Um, we call it mo a money ball approach where we look at all the possible features that we could add and, you have to prioritize them because you can't do them all when you're a bootstrap company. We just don't have the resources. We have to make those hard decisions. And it's really about prioritizing which features we can get out quickly that are going to bring the most value. Uh, and then sometimes it is the opposite, which, you know, which ones will bring the most value and how long are they going to take to make? And it's a constant trade-off where I feel like we are having to say no to things a lot more than we're having to say yes. Um, but I think that's a good indication that we are um, diligently making decisions based on customer feedback, you know, based on pricing and uh, unit economics and all these different things of making sure that decisions we make are um, are really going to make an impact on the business. And that was all, again, hard lessons learned from the Utah days where we would just be like, oh, this feature would be cool. Let's build this. Like, I think this would be fun. Like people would love this where it just, that never really worked out. So it's been, um, and, and I, I think the reason this is getting long winded is because I think prioritizing is the most important thing a founder can do. Um, because that it's all about decision-making and prioritizing. And it, it's just been the most important thing to our growth, I think. Baird calls it patience in his answer. But if you think about it, how he answered that question, it's not just patience, although it is that. It's also prioritization. They did a really good job of prioritizing what features should go next to arrive at a product that people would pay for, even though they have a premium version as well. So patience and prioritization were two keys right there in that answer. Let's get back to the interview. And it seems like the battle that you may have, especially going back to your earlier comments about being concerned about the, the next competitor who launches with a free version uh, that has maybe more free more features for their free version than your free version does, that, that paranoia, I would think, 
could also cause you to feel like you need to continue to add features to your base plan. So people are getting more and more and more value for a mere $10 a month versus adding value in a plan that's a little bit higher. So you can now get people to go from $10 paying you $10 a month to $25 a month or $49 a month or whatever, you know, ultimate target you have in mind for that. How do you balance that? The desire to keep adding value for your $10 a month plan so that people stay with you and don't downgrade or switch versus adding features to other plans that might allow you to attract people that have a little bit more money in their pocket to spend? It's a great question. I think it's still something that that we are trying to balance. Um, and there's probably no perfect answer for, but you know, we did realize one thing that, um, you know, people want to pay for the value that they're getting for the most part. You know, uh, there's obviously a lot of people that just want things for free and um, there's free tools for them to go use. But uh, for the people that really want the value and it's this is an important function of their marketing and podcasting uh, life that they they want to pay the money because they want to know you're going to be around. There's been a lot of companies that have come in and out of the podcasting industry that have offered these massive free plans, and a lot of them don't last more than a year and a half, two years. Um, so I think that's one thing is making sure that you know we are uh, properly setting the value across our different plans and pricing them appropriately, and then communicating it as well and uh, reacting to what to what people say. But um, I would say that, and it's funny that like within the podcasting market like $10 for a promotional, like we're technically expensive, like in our little corner of the uh, podcasting digital world. Um, so it, it is an important balance and, and pricing changes are so difficult because it, there's so much sensitivity around it, not just from the customers, but also um, from the founder side too. It's hard to just raise your prices or downgrade them. So um, I think it's a, it's, it's a mix of, of, of all those things. And something that I will say that we haven't done a good enough job, I'm sure that if you asked me this question two years from now, I would look back and say, we should have just tested more. We should have tested different pricing. We should have tested different packaging um, because um, it is something that you can do and should do because that's really the only way to, to nail down, um, you, you know, the, the correct pricing strategies. Yeah. So, okay, so Wave has is, is been out there for a little over two years now. You're, you're doing 43K in, in monthly revenue. But at some point in time, beyond adding some additional features into Wave that can accomplish what I'm heading to next, you decide that there needs to be a new product with its own name, its own brand called Zubtitle that is a close cousin to Wave. Tell, talk to me about how, how did the idea for Zubtitle and the desire to, to have it as a separate product. When did that start to emerge in your mind? And how did you arrive at that decision that you needed to have a second product that would you know take your time and, and attention and brand building uh, talents that you'd have to pour into that versus just trumping up Wave a little bit more? The feature request within Wave to have captions uh, appearing on videos ha has been there pretty much from day one. Uh, it, it's always something we knew we needed to build. But every time that we would look, it's a big project, and um, the tech has gotten a lot easier, uh, you know, even in the last six months to a year. But um, every time we scoped the project out, we looked at how much it was going to cost us and ongoing costs as well for speech API usage. Uh, it just always got deprioritized. There was always something else that we could work on. Um, but we got to a point where we really feel like we needed to do it. But again, when we're looking at the price tag on 
um, putting it together of just the time that we would spend. And the thought was, well, if we're going to build this service that can add captions to digital videos, why don't we just make it its own product and people can use it for any video that they want. And then that, that service will uh, power the back end of wave to process this. So um, we talked about it quite a bit and we actually added, uh, I, ha I have another partner that I work with on subtitle. Just the timing was a little weird um, between um, was, uh, we, some of our, our co-founders just weren't ready to take on more risk at that time. Um, so we brought in another partner to kind of lead the engineering on um, subtitle and started that out as its own brand and thought, you know, we're going to integrate this into Wave regardless, but it would be really nice if it could be its own product that can generate its own revenue and these two can live and coexist together. And it also, it, you know, going back to like our main ethos and what we're like really trying to do, it really fits that as well. We're trying to help people share their message and share their voice. Um, and when you post a video on social media, they're mostly on mute. So adding captions is another way to help somebody, you know, get their message delivered uh, on social media. So it really felt natural. It felt like a good fit. And um, it's been around for about a year now. What's amazing to me too about that is that it would have been really easy to convince yourselves that with so few people, you know, full-time people dedicated to this. I know you have contractors that can do various aspects of the uh, development, but with with few all-hands-on-deck all uh, resources available, it, it's, it does feel like you could have convinced yourself to build this as an additional tier or an additional feature that's you have to pay for as a boost or, a, you know, a one-off yeah. uh, fee or something within Wave because the supporting of another brand is a whole other thing. Like subtitle has to have its own presence online. You know, it's got to, uh, you got to do the SEO work on it. It's got to have its own content on the blog. It's got to have all of those. And it's got to have its own support mechanism. That's a separate support mechanism from wave. And I think a lot of people, especially given that the services are like right next to each other, like I said, close cousins, I think a lot of people would have thought that they should just go ahead and incorporate it. But that brings its own level of, uh, complexity into it. So it seems like you made a, a pretty smart call there, but were you, were you, it, and it sounds, I say that, and yet you kind of effortlessly said that you, you launched as its own brand. Was it not really a tug of war at all on, on keeping it within wave? Um, there, there were a couple of factors that went into it. One was we made the decision that every wave user would have access to this. So all of our 50,000 free users would have access to the captioning feature, mainly because we wanted free users using it so that more videos were getting shared on social media and the captions were included. So, um, and then the more we thought about, you know, increasing our pricing because of this didn't really seem like something that we wanted to do um, because not every user will put it to use. So we didn't want to just roll it into our pricing. So that, uh, I think those things made it a little easier to say, well, this can either just be a, basically a marketing expense, like obviously engineering would build it, but this would really technically be a marketing expense for Wave, um, or we can, you know, try and roll it out as its own product, and that would help cover our cost and potentially make money. Uh, we saw a huge opportunity in um, video creation too online, uh, and then there's also the aspect that I had been on. I'd been this was May of last year, so I had been full time Wave for six months. And I guess that's about how long it takes me to get bored and like want to start something new, <laughs> um, about a year and a half. So I was just itching and I, I you know, wave was, I felt like I kind of had it down a little bit 
and um which was naive because the first year has been easy, but now running them both is becoming difficult. I was going to say, uh, how, how cute, Barrett. You thought you had it down already. That's so cute. I'll probably do it again, and my wife <laughs> is really going to be upset <laughs> with the third one. <laughs> well, so subtitle definitely does serve a different purpose. Like people may, I can, I can absolutely see where people would want to, uh, a service like Subtitle and have no need for like the waveform, you know, uh, jiggling in front of them while an audio is playing. They just want to be able to see the, the speaker speaking, in, if that's the case, and and a transcription. They don't need to see the other elements yeah. of it. And they may have longer videos that they have in mind. And Wave, I see, um, at least the way the market has spoken, sure seems to me to be a, offering a different solution, which is I want to be able to provide snippets of audio to my audience in a way that gives them a chance to taste what I do and reels them in to be a subscriber, to listen to more of my stuff. And those are two different purposes entirely. Improve the listening experience versus get a taste of the listening experience and then bring it in from there. Yeah, and what's been interesting is that these products seem so similar. Um, while there are differences, like you like you said, and, and it does make sense for them to live separately, I thought... Another thing, this is another reason I was being so naive. I was like, well, I already did this with Wave. I've already built a SaaS business, and it's a very similar market, content creators. And we can just roll out the same strategies that we had and um, spin up subtitle, and it'll be off to the races. Turns out that's not the case. And um, podcasters and video creators are very different. Uh, they have very different needs. Video creators generally are a little more B2B. They're um, usually... Um, they're usually selling some large service behind their videos. That's why they take the effort to like really create high quality video content. Um, and the business model has been completely different. People won't pay a subscription for subtitle, which is really interesting. They only will pay per use. And mainly I think that that's because um, that's what the previous companies that offered this similar type of service have always done. So they're completely different business models. They're completely different customer bases. And while I thought this was going to be just another, I thought I was basically copying wave and putting it out there just with a different name and product. And it was all going to go the same. It's been very, very different, um, which has been just a good lesson for me to learn, to know that, you know, every, little market niche is very different and has different needs and needs different responses. Yeah. You might learn lessons from one product that applies to another, but the market being different is one of the, the biggest disruptors of whatever plan yep. you want to put in place. It seems like. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. It's been, um, it's been really interesting and, and subtitles only been around for a year and I, I feel like we're just now kind of getting our, um, getting our footing and, and really figuring out what people want and, um, actually going to be moving away from just captioning and we're well, not moving away. We're going to be adding other video editing features, just uh, other tools to get your video ready for social media as quickly as possible. So Interesting. Uh, even it's taking a life of its own and it's kind of going in a diff different direction than what we thought it was. Wow. Uh, you're, you, you're, you're allowing the market to dictate how wise you are about what you do next. <laughs> you have learned Baird, give yourself more credit. It's so hard to do, but uh, yeah, I think we're uh, slowly, slowly getting the hang of it. So I say this as a one Midwesterner to another Midwesterner that you, you know, you're not a Boston guy. You're not a Bay Area guy. You're just this guy from Indiana who's now in South Carolina. 
running a software company, like so many other software companies there in Charleston, South Carolina, <laughs> or even in Indiana originally. Yeah. Uh, so you, you started off, you go to Indiana and you, you become a sales guy uh, early in your career, a CRM guy and a sales guy. Is there some point in time where the lessons that you learned working for software companies as a sales guy made you feel like, I need to run my own thing. I need to start my own business. Do I have the guts to do it? Did you have some moment that told you, I need, I, I, I now need to call the shots here. I think, I, I think I've always had a burning desire to do my own thing. I never understood why though. That was, that was a problem. Um, I, you know, going through school, I was, I was never a great student. I was never creative. I probably, I almost failed every art class I ever took. Um, so people always told me that yeah, I didn't feel like I was ever smart or creative. Um, but I'll say that when I start, I got out of college and I started working for software companies, I, I kind of started getting in a little bit and getting more confident. I started kind of shedding those labels that uh, I had, had collected um, through school. And um, I, I always had a burning passion to do my own thing. I didn't know why, but looking back, I was thinking about this this morning, that I was, I've always been searching for a way to like be creative. And it wasn't until I found entrepreneurship that um, – that's when I knew like, oh, I can build things, put them out in the world and have an impact. And it's really that drive to be creative that I it just never found. So I think it was it was once I put my first product out there, I knew I was like, I really love doing this. The first one didn't go so well, but uh, I still really enjoyed it. And I think that's why I had the um, desire to, you know, give it another shot and keep going. So I don't know if it's ever clicked. Looking back, I you know, every, and I'll hopefully say this, you know, a year or two down the road that every place that I was, was getting me prepared for what was next. It's hard to see that in the moment, but, um, and I hope that's still happening now, of course. But, um, so I don't know if that exactly answers the question, but, um, kind of wraps it all up into, into one answer. Puts a nice little bow on it. (laughs) As, as you peer ahead into, let's stick back to wave and set a subtitle for a minute, since wave is the largest driver of your revenue. As you look ahead to the next 12 months or so, do you have, do you feel like you have clarity on what you need to do next? Or do you feel like that's still emerging right now with what you need to do to make wave a little bit more future proof and, and, uh, adding even more value for people? Yeah, I, I think we do have a, a fairly clear picture. We've, we've really tried to hone down what we want to do. And the main driver of wave is to help podcasters, uh, get more reach and engagement on social media and get more listeners. So uh, we're one thing that we are doing is taking a step back from just the video teaser creation mm-hmm. and thinking like, what are other problems that podcasters are having on social media? And, um, ha- you know, are there interesting ones that we can solve? So another product that we launched under the wave umbrella, which um, really hasn't been promoted too much yet. Um, it's, it's very, it was just a month ago. It's called wave link. And it's basically a mini podcast uh, website with a short link to it. So, um, you know, it's a big pain when you post a podcast, you have to pick iTunes or Spotify or your website. And, uh, it's never easy to like pick one link to share on social media. So we created one link for, for podcasters and, uh, to put on Instagram or Facebook or, or Twitter. And it has just a really nice clean landing page that directs people to their podcast player of choice. So, uh, that's a new product that we've launched. We know that's a big pain and uh, we've got a few other products we are thinking through. So to just continue serving podcasters and making sure that they can share their content easily and listeners can find them easily. So I think uh, even just with that short sentence, there's 
probably a couple other products we could we could focus on. That's cool to hear, Baird. I I hope your uh, I hope your n- no more newlywed wife is now officially <laughs> satisfied that you spent that sa- that you wiped out your savings a few years ago because now you can sit back and say, see, see, look, we we take a trip to Prague. We've got a product yeah. that's working now. I've got a second product. We've launched a third product within Wave. See, just trust me, honey. Yep, she uh, she owns a lot of equity though, so she gets still gets to call the shots. But um, <laughs> but yeah, I think she's she's definitely happy that she uh, angel invested for a bit there. <laughs> Barrett, thanks so much for coming on today. It's great to talk to you. Yeah, thanks for having me. And that was the story of Baird Hall, founder of Wave Co. and Subtitle. Coming up next week, we've got the founder of Twelve Minute Athlete. Krista Stryker. She was headed in a completely different direction in college despite growing up in an uber-athletic family. It took her brother challenging her to do just one push-up that she had her aha moment. And now she's moved beyond personal training to an online empire as a fitness expert. All right, thank you to my co-producer, Preston Lee, founder of Milo and admin of the Milo Mastermind community on Facebook, as well as our incredible assistant, Bilal, for helping put this episode of Freelance to Founder together. We are also a proud member of the Podglomerate Network, which features other shows like Rocket Ship, The Feast, Two Girls, One Podcast, and numerous other great ones. Thanks for listening, everyone. Catch me at Brandon Hall on Twitter if you like, and feel free to drop your rating or review on whichever podcast platform you prefer. We'll catch you next time on Freelance to Founder. The Podglomerate. A Sonic Universe.